OSHA provides new COVID guidelines to employers outside of healthcare. But what exactly does that mean for your boss or business? Karen Tynan from Ogletree Deacons breaks it down. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for being here with us. Today, we're talking about some new COVID-related OSHA guidelines being put into place following one of President Biden's new executive orders. So what will these new guidelines mean for your business or if you're an employee, your place of work? We're going to be talking about that shortly. But before we get into it, we need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, NOTA. NOTA is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit TrustNota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's NOTA spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right. Let's say hello to our guest, Karen Tyner. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thank you for joining us here. You know, we got these uh, new OSHA guidelines. You know, we've been covering this periodically, you know, kind of some of these new regulations coming out of COVID as they come up. And so these are OSHA guidelines aimed at non-healthcare or non-healthcare employers specifically. What I found was interesting was that in addition to, you know, kind of a few standard uh, recommendations, they were recommending that an employer put forth this new workplace program into their, their place of work to help slow the spread. And one of the things they recommended was a workplace coordinator. So nominate someone on your staff to be the workplace coordinator of this program. And they went down a series of recommendations. So let's go through those. Let's talk about some of those highlighted features of this recommended new workplace program. Sure. Many employers have been looking at the Biden administration. This is a very substantial change. But the good thing is, for most employers, you've already been doing a lot of this. So the assignment of a workplace coordinator Most companies already have someone in HR or safety or operations who manages uh, COVID prevention, mitigating hazards. So many are already doing this, so you shouldn't be very intimidated by it. Another element that is very important is identifying how workers could be exposed to COVID. For businesses that have client or customer interfaces, it is important to assess that hazard. Other businesses that may have other employers in the workplace may have subcontractors. You're going to need to identify ways that that those interactions could create a hazard. And many employers are going to need to implement, for those nerdy safety people out there, you're going to know this, the hierarchy of controls where You use engineering controls, administrative controls, and PPE to address the hazards that you've identified. Now, what we've seen in California, Virginia, Oregon, states that already have COVID prevention plans and programs that have been implemented and passed in 2020, they're requiring much similar and kind of the thematically following with face coverings social distancing, enhanced sanitation. So using those measures is going to be important and identifying those employees with that higher risk, right? So I think that for employers, it's a matter of taking that fresh look for those governed by FedOSHA. We're going to see possibly real regulations passed that address this. 
And this is kind of a, an early warning for employers. And you probably should be gathering your teams as a best practice, taking a look at this Fed OSHA advice. Of course, it's on their website. And starting to implement any of those little areas that you haven't been implementing, say, this past year. Uh, we're kind of on the anniversary of when we started paying attention to COVID. And so you've been doing so much of it. That's one theme I want to make sure, Lawrence, that everybody gets is that this isn't something absolutely brand new. Don't be intimidated by it. Just kind of refresh your programs, update. And it's a matter of dotting the I's and crossing the T's, okay? Yeah, no, it's amazing. No, thank you for that. It, it's amazing to think of this in terms of it's almost a year for all of this beginning. Oh, I just, know, right? Absolutely. Now, just I, I want to touch on some of the uh, individual recommendations that were coming out of here, just to kind of get a little further detail on it, especially uh, regarding the vaccine. And so, there's a recommendation that uh, employers, uh, you know, provide access to the vaccine. But uh, I wasn't super clear. Now, who who's responsible for paying for that? Is that something the employer pays for? Is that something that is shared? Well, technically, and the directive, which is number 14 on the website, says that the employers are going to not only provide information, but also provide training on the benefits of the vaccine and provide it at no cost. That's very important. And one nuance that I want employers to be aware of is that if you are providing the vaccine, and I know we're at the very new stages and depending on your business and the state you're in, there can be different tiers and things like that. Make sure that when a worker, if they do have an adverse reaction, it probably is, and there are materials online for this, it may be recordable on your OSHA 300 log. And we can probably anticipate that there will be a few people with adverse reactions just based on the information out there. And a, and a little nuance just to remember is if an employee, when you've provided this vaccine, if they report to you that, oh, I need to take a couple of days off, I've had a little adverse reaction, I'm you know nauseated, I can't come to work, make sure you take note of that and evaluate that like you would any other workplace illness or exposure. I've got family that uh, work in medical. And so, you know, masks are sort of the the regular uniform that go along with that. But, you know, most places, you know, we've been working remote and we have our own masks. We travel with it. We go to the grocery store with it. But in this case, they're recommending that the employer also provide the mask. And so that was that a new one? That kind of seems like it was sort of redundant because everybody in the workplace already had a mom when you go into the grocery store and everybody coming in has them. But why do you think just as a policy that OSHA decided to, to kind of uh, redouble down on that? I think it's related to certainly a laxity around mask wearing and also the fact that there have been kind of a, what I would call, Lawrence, a conflation of terms, whether it's face covering, face masks, gaiters, right, bandanas. And so Fed OSHA is looking for some consistency in the face coverings and face masks. And they also want to make sure that employees are not bearing the burden of providing the face mask. I think it's the right thing to do. And in many cases, it's a matter of employers just, you know, ordering that gross of surgical mask or whatever mask are appropriate and having them at the workplace for all the employees. 
One of the weird elements that I, I noticed in there was that OSHA was calling out for employers to not make a distinction between employees that were vaccinated versus ones that were not vaccinated. Now, to me, you know, that seems like kind of putting the employer <laughs> in this uh, kind of weird, unwinnable situation because the employer is responsible for providing a safe workplace. And so there might be a bona fide reason that somebody cannot take a vaccine. They might have a special allergy. Right. And so you want to you want to protect them, but you also want to protect your clients that come in and your customers that come in because you don't know what their status is. So what does OSHA recommend for that? You know, they're, they're recommending don't treat them different, but they're also requiring you to maintain a uh, safe workplace. So how is that reconciled under OSHA guidelines? Right. And I think, Lawrence, that's the really toughest question we've been getting recently on the phone tons of times during the week about vaccines. I think we're at a stage where there's still some learning about vaccines and any of the states or the feds in this case want a little wiggle room around vaccines and they don't want people to become complacent. It's also a little unclear about the second dose and how many days you would wait after a second dose before you would be considered completely vaccinated. I think the CDC will be giving some tighter guidance in the weeks to come. I would expect in 2021, we may see some adjustment to the vaccinated versus unvaccinated employee distinction. So a good takeaway for employers is, look, here's the policy right now. You're not able to distinguish between vaccinated and unvaccinated. However, your coordinator, you remember your first question about these elements and we talked about there's a coordinator in the workplace. That coordinator better be monitoring Fed, OSHA, CDC, the state plans for how we are directing employers to deal with vaccinated and unvaccinated. It is not static at this time and likely will evolve in 2021. I know that's not the super black and white answer, Lawrence, but I suspect since you do a legal podcast that you're used to a little bit of the gray answers. No, I appreciate the gray and the nuance. So I do have one more question regarding the vaccines. And so, you know, this is a science-based question. And so, you know, of course, that was a big uh, talking point during the election cycle. The, the the Biden administration talked about science-based guideline policies. And so uh, in these early executive orders, wanted to, President Biden wanted to put this forth through some of these new OSHA recommendations and perhaps some emergency orders as well. But uh, one of the things they uh, they said is that even after, this is what OSHA is recommending, even after you get your entire staff vaccinated, they're still recommending that you do the COVID protocol. So you'd be doing social distancing and masking. What's the thought behind there? Because, you know, from a science perspective, knowing what I know about vaccines, that doesn't right. seem to be too scientific. So what are the thoughts there? The thoughts are that the vaccine understanding is still evolving, number one. Number two, if you look at what we've seen in the last year, whether it's with testing or other protocols, sometimes we do have employee refusals or customer or client refusals to adhere to whether it's face mask or other sanitary procedures or social distancing. So my thought on this is that these other parameters like mass, social distancing, maybe enhanced sanitation are going to remain for now. But like in my prior answer, we may see some evolution of these requirements. But for now, 
even though you feel like there's a bit of a rub between the science of social distancing and vaccination and face mask and sanitizing, we need to be a little bit patient and understand that let's get through some percentage of the population. Let's really watch the CDC recommendations. Let's, uh, you know, take a chance to evaluate. We really have only been giving out the vaccine since December. So it's two months now. And I think that in another two months, there will be a little bit of shift in the landscape and, and we'll see some, maybe some nuances in the regulations about after an exposure, people returning to work if they've been vaccinated, things like that. Remember CDC changed just, what was it in November? They went from 14 days down to 10 for asymptomatic COVID, COVID people, right? If you had a COVID exposure and got COVID. So I'm thinking that we'll see some better directives. And, you know, the important thing is for the employer to comply, to understand and to implement. Yeah, that's one I really like OSHA to to clarify, provide a little more information. Because, you know, on one side, you know, we want people to be cautious. But on the other side, we want we don't want additional regulations to remain, want to get back to a sense right. of normal. And so I think that a lot of employers are out there are concerned. But I think employees, too, I don't think uh, any employee out there wants to wear masks for the rest of their lives. And so <laughs> at some point, they're going to have to acknowledge that. But uh, I got a, a wink and a nod question for you. And so I, I understand in my, uh, in my research here that OSHA is saying that these uh, these new guidelines were not created to create these new legal obligations, but I get a little suspicious. And so in reality, <laughs> how mandatory do you think these new recommendations will be? They will likely be rolled into a more formal regulation, just like they have been in Oregon, Virginia, California. And so for employers, I think you've honed in on an important issue is take a look at these regulations, uh, these recommendations as foreshadowing, as a way for you to get ahead, as a way for you to be compliant and be ready when more stringent regulations are rolled out. Don't forget, we're just in, you know, February, March timeframe. The administration's been in for about a month. So they're just getting going <laughs> as far as at Fed OSHA with new leadership, and with a new kind of enforcement and, you know, new focus on COVID prevention and on the enforcement around COVID. So kind of buckle up for 2021, be prepared and make sure you're doing a ton of training and implement these requirements as effectively as you can. All right. Last question for you, Karen. So as, as I understand it, the Biden administration is requesting emergency standards to come from OSHA. Now, I think those are supposed to come by March 15th. And I was wondering if there were any updates related to that. So that's the best question. <laughs> I had a couple of other interviews and I will tell you that I was kind of very secondhand told that Virginia's rules and regulations and California's, the framework of those two different state OSHA plans are forming the basis for the federal framework. And so if employers look to the Virginia rules and, and how they address COVID and California, you can anticipate what the federal rules might look like. And so that would be obviously social distancing, mask requirements, there may be some testing and screening requirements 
maybe even some outbreak reporting, some record-keeping requirements. So when that comes out in March, if you want to be a little more prepared and not just waiting and clicking refresh on your browser, take a look at the Virginia plan. Of course, it's online. California COVID prevention, emergency temporary standard, that's online. Look at that and see oh, could I be compliant under this plan with how I've addressed face coverings and distancing and screening and how I record keep about COVID and my training on COVID? See where you would stack up and that could make you more prepared for this federal plan. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Karen. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank you. Everybody stay safe. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. It's good for the show ratings. And also one more big thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And lastly, but never, never, never leastly, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for all their hard work. Much appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.